We are in Acts chapter 23. And the scriptures we're going to refer to and look at are there in your packet. Uh, We'll read through some of these verses. Some they'll just be referred to. And uh, we have them there for you to, to, you know, look at later and encourage you guys to, again, you know what, we come out here and we go through the scripture and I know the Lord wants to continue to minister to you through these passages. So, you know, I know a lot of folks are taking this and using it kind of as a, a Bible study throughout the week and encourage you guys in that. So we have these scriptures for you guys to continue to, you know, dig a little deeper and so forth. So last week we looked at Acts chapter 22 and we saw the Lord giving Paul opportunity to share his testimony with those that were there in Jerusalem in the temple there on Pentecost and he was able to share with them how he came to Christ how the Lord met him on that road to Damascus when he had rage in his heart against the way against the Lord Jesus Christ and how the Lord brought him to that place of calling on his name and him seeing the resurrected Christ who defeated sin death Satan and hell he also talked to them about the ministry that the Lord had called him to and it went really really well the sharing of this with those that were there and we talked about our call to share our testimony with others centering it around the gospel of jesus christ it went well there until he mentioned to them christ's call upon him to share the gospel with the gentiles and sadly these jews who were supposedly zealous for the law they erupted even though the ministry to the gentiles was a fulfillment of the law in the sense of the word of God. You know, when we talk about the law, sometimes it's the ceremonial law, uh, which they were predominantly caught up in. Sometimes it can refer to God's Ten Commandments, His moral law. And then other times it can refer to the totality of Scripture. And this was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and yet they were so blinded in their self-righteousness that they erupted at Paul. Remember, uh, they, they, they were wanting to kill him. And about that time, a Roman guard stepped in. They seized Paul from, you know, at the place. They were getting ready to scourge him themselves because they saw the, the, the near riot that was about to break out. And they were thinking he was an Egyptian that had 4,000 assassins because they said, What's, what, what, what must be causing these Jews to go crazy like this? Because remember, he was speaking to them in Hebrew. They spoke Greek. And at that point, Paul asked, is it lawful for you to scourge a Roman citizen? And we saw a fear of Caesar and Rome in these guards' hearts because they knew if they did that, they would be breaking Roman law. And Paul, using that to his advantage, this citizenship that God had given to him, he used that to his advantage in an effort to try to get a fair trial. This morning where we pick up things in Acts 23, Paul goes before the Sanhedrin, which would be the Jewish council, you know, at, for, so that they could try and basically they're saying, you need to try this guy properly. And so in this, we're going to see Paul using great wisdom because he's going to see really, you know, at quick into this that he's not going to get a fair trial. And God gives him wisdom and enables him to get out of this situation. He really delivers him from it as they were wanting to, you know, at, destroy him. And then from there, we're going to see these Jews, you know, in the name of God, plotting to kill Paul. You know, something that should never be said. In the name of God, we're going to plot to kill them. Uh, And yet, we're going to see the Lord 
making the way of deliverance, the way of escape for Paul. And a lot of great things for us to glean this morning and to consider. You know, the, the need of wisdom that we have, the fact that Satan is always plotting, trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But praise God, we get the assurance of our deliverer, the rescuer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to read a verse, uh, you know, two, three, four, in some, ca- some cases, you know, at a time and make our way down through uh, Acts 23. Let's jump in here with the first verse. It says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, <clears throat> Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, again, the council is a group called the Sanhedrin, which Paul, before he came to Christ, was actually a member of. This was a powerful group, and at this point, this powerful group is full of rage. They're wanting Paul dead, and here's Paul by himself brought before this council that absolutely is fuming. And this is a very intimidating place to be, you know, brought before a group that you know has power, that has authority. You know that they want you dead. You know as well that they're not going to give you a fair trial and you're up there all alone in front of this group. But notice what it says here. This is powerful. It says, then Paul looking earnestly at the council. The word earnestly, it means intense. It means straight. It means fearlessly. He's standing there alone, looking at them intensely, looking at them straight in the face, looking at them in the eyes. He's looking at them with no fear because he's standing in the power of the Lord. He's standing in the power of the Holy Spirit that only comes through abiding in the Lord. And though it looks like he's standing alone and the odds are stacked against him, Actually, he's standing with the Lord standing before him and behind him and at the side of him. I think it's 2 Timothy where Paul says, all forsook me, but I don't hold it against him because the Lord stood with me. And he's standing here with the boldness. It very much reminds me of many of the Old Testament prophets. I think of Ezekiel, who the Lord had called to prophesy to the nation of Israel. And the Lord told him. You know, because, again, he's in a similar place as Paul. The Lord told him in Ezekiel 3.8, Behold, I've made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. I guess there could be some heads budding here. And and, uh, like uh, adamant stone harder than flint, I have made your forehead. And then notice what he says here. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are rebellious house. And I'll tell you, in the day we're living in today, we need to be praying for this kind of strength. We need to be praying that we could be a fearless people in the face of great evil. Paul's standing, looking in the face of evil. Ezekiel would be in the same place. Many of the prophets and the people of God have been in these places before. And again, we're living in a time where we're seeing this trend of, good being called evil and evil being called good and a a self-righteousness in the world that is emboldening them to be very aggressive against the Lord and the things of the Lord and the people of God and the enemy wants us to be full of fear and he wants us to be a cowardice people but God has not given us a spirit of fear but power love and a sound mind and so we need to pray for strength from upon high 
And we need to know in the face of whatever comes our way, our Lord is going to go before us. And so let's put our confidence in him this day. Now, Paul says to them, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. This is a bold statement that Paul is putting out here. He's saying, in my conscience, I've always done what I've done unto the glory of God, thinking what I was doing was right before God. This was even true when Paul was persecuting the body of Christ. Doesn't mean that what he was doing was right. It wasn't. But in his conscience, he believed that he was doing what God had called him to do. In Philippians chapter 3, he talks about his former life. And he says in verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. So he had a great zeal for God in his persecuting of the church. Because at this point, he looked at Christianity as some sort of cult movement. And we've talked about the reasons why of this. Jesus Christ had hung on a tree for our sins. The law of God says, cursed is every man who hangs on the tree. Paul in his mind thought, there's no way the Messiah would ever be cursed. He didn't understand that Jesus had become a curse for us. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be born again and saved. So he was in a place of ignorance. John 16, 2, Jesus said, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. And Paul was part of a fulfillment, fulfillment of that. He was thinking he was offering God a service and what he was doing. So what he's saying here is two to them. Men and brethren, <clears throat> I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now listen, there's something great we can glean from this. This really shows us that our conscience, and we all have one, it has to be guided by truth, the truth of scriptures, or else the definition of what's right and wrong can get warped really quick. There's a lot of people that have their conscience, you know what, warped by wickedness, and they're in a place where, again, we just refer to this, they call good evil and evil good. And when they aren't walking in what they call good, their conscience is convict them, convicted them because they've been convinced that which is evil is good and that which is evil or good is evil. And I'll tell you this morning, and I know many of you have experienced this as well. I've had many people, and this happens more and more in this day we are living in, many people try to shame me for calling sin, sin, because the world, and sadly even much of the church, no longer calls certain sins, sin. Does anyone bear witness with what I'm talking with this morning? They want to shame you again for standing in truth. Hear this this morning. You must refuse to let these liars shape your conscience. You have to resist that. We have to stand in the truth. Notice 1 Timothy 4.1. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And notice what it says next, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Through false doctrine, their conscience seared. They have a conscience, but their conscience is not shaped and formed and molded by the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, but instead by doctrines of demons, deceiving spirits, 
speaking lies and hypocrisy. It's interesting what comes next. It talks about forbidding marriage, and it's really a picture of an attack on marriage. And then it also says the the forbidding of eating of meats. Has anyone watched the news this week? (laughs) Where they're talking about this 2030 agenda. And our, you know what, president is saying by the year 2030, you'll only be allowed to eat the equivalent of one hamburger of red meat a month. This is our president saying this. This isn't some, you know, a guy blogging somewhere, you know, this is our president saying this. We're going to forbid you from eating meat. But listen, don't worry about it. Bill Gates is making fake meat for us to eat. So, you know, it's going to be great. But listen, this is scriptural. This goes back to Romans worshiping, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. They say we got to get rid of the cows because the cows are destroying the atmosphere. This is lunacy. This is insanity. You got to stand firm in the word of God and refuse to let these liars shape your conscience this morning. Do you hear what God's word is saying? First Peter 1.13 says, therefore, I love the verbiage here. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Notice here. Not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. God has not called us to conform to where we were, but to gird up our minds in the Lord Jesus Christ to move forward in him. Romans 12, 2 puts it like this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that is found in the scriptures. We are called to be a biblical people. Hear this this morning, we are called to walk in the word everywhere we go. Not to say, well, I'm a Christian over here and I think like a Christian at church, but during the week I think like the world. And that's what a lot of people do. They want to put God in a compartment. We are called to walk in the truth of the word of God everywhere we go at every single turn, every step that we take along the way. And so make sure that you are refusing to allow this world to shape your conscience and your worldview, but you are standing in the truth of God's word. Can we say, say amen to that today? It says, verse 2, Then the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. And listen, if you're going to stand in the truth, you might get struck in the mouth. But God's still going to go before you. And eventually the day will come if they don't repent when they're going to be struck down by the Lord himself. And that does not sound like a good thing. But God always deals with rebellion if it's not dealt with at the cross and humbling your heart before him. Now they saw Paul as a compromised liar for being a follower of Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he said this, immediately again, they lashed out and he was struck. Now it's interesting what Paul says next in verse 3. It says, Then Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And I believe Paul's saying this because, again, 
He knows that day is coming that if these men don't repent, they're going to be judged by God himself. It's interesting what he says here is in line with Matthew 23 when Jesus rebuked these same individuals. Remember there in Matthew 23, he's rebuking the religious people of the day, the people putting trust in their works to save them versus walking in a cloak of humility, putting faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord said to them, amongst many other things that he said, in Matthew 23, 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's like going to a cemetery that's well kept. It looks beautiful. Everything's in order. There's flowers and so forth. It's clean. But we know what lies under the ground there. Dead man's bones. Jesus rebuked them saying, listen, you're fake. You're a hypocrite. You walk around with this piety, but inside you're full of rebellion. Inside you're full of wickedness. And Paul goes right back to the rebuke that Jesus had given to them. You're a whitewashed wall. And then he calls them out. You guys are hypocrites because you're judging me according to the law. But while you're judging me, you're breaking the law. By law, they couldn't just punch him in the face. That was illegal. That was not him getting tried in a right manner. But listen, again, Jesus called them out on this. In Matthew 23, 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And he says, Blind guides, you strain in a gnat and you swallow a camel. And you see this throughout these guys, you know, an appearance in Scripture where they would keep up, you know, you think about, how they would always try to catch Jesus in some violation of the law. He'd heal on the Sabbath. So they say you're breaking the Sabbath where the Lord was ministering on the Sabbath and bringing rest on the Sabbath and showing he's the God of the Sabbath. But for those reasons, what did they do? They took him and they unlawfully tried him and they crucified him, though he laid down his life. No one took his life, but they were thinking we're upholding the law while they were grossly breaking the law. And this, was, this is what happens with legalism when people take certain parts of the law or they make up their own law and they say, Am I, aren't I righteous for what I'm doing? But listen, even in that, there's a greater violation in walking in that kind of pride. Our righteousness is as filthy rags and our you know, justification is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ, not anything we do or our own efforts. Verse 4 here. It says, and those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now listen, this guy might have been Israel's high priest, but this was not God's high priest. You know who's God's high priest? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, writing to the Hebrews in Hebrews 14 or 4.14, it says, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our, confa- our confession. I love this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, 
but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And then notice verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Our high priest is unlike any high priest that has ever walked the face of this earth. He can sympathize with our weakness. And yet he was tempted in every way and he never sinned. Again, he laid down his life to pay the penalty of our sin. He rose from the grave and defeated sin. And now he's in a place making intercession for us. And we can go boldly to the throne of grace because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Remember that, especially in the day when Satan's lying to you, saying, man, you've blown it too much. You can't come before God. You need to go. No, I can go boldly because I have a high priest who is making intercession for me. And I can come boldly because the Lord has atoned for my sins. That's who our high priest is. This guy was not God's high priest. Jesus had fulfilled these things. But they say to him, do you revile God's high priest? Now Paul responds, yes, you should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And it's true, we're called to give honor where honors due and respect places of leadership. But hear this, there's absolutely as well a place to call out wickedness and to hold evil men and leadership accountable. Jesus said concerning Herod, he called him a fox. Not in a complimentative way. Listen, he was saying, this guy's a scoundrel. And he said, tell him I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. I'm going to resurrect from the grave, so you need to go let him know. Now, I really believe what's going on at this point, though, and we're going to see this really clear in what happens next, Paul is seeing that he needs to de-escalate this situation because the way that it's going right now, I mean, they're right at the beginning of this trial and he's already been punched in the mouth. He's seeing, I'm not going to get a fair trial here. And I think this is Paul conceding the issue versus, you know what, casting pearls before swine and giving what's holy to the dogs to have them all the more turn and trample them. I think in Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And Paul basically concedes the matter. Now notice verse 6, and it gives us insight into what we just read. It says, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. So again, in recognizing, I'm not going to get a fair trial here. These men twist the scriptures. They're wicked. Paul moves in great wisdom here. We've already seen him quoting Jesus about them being whitewashed walls. And next, he had to have thought of what Jesus had said in Matthew 12, 25, when he said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. These guys need to be divided against themselves. And if, they're, if I can divide them right now because they were a divided group, they'll focus in on, you know what, going at each other. And hopefully I can just kind of slip right out the door. That's what he's doing here. This is the Lord giving him wisdom. 
This is a principle taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. If a kingdom's divided against itself, it will fall. Pray for our country. Man, there are a lot of people in high places wanting to divide people in any way that they can. They don't even care what the issues are. The more division we can break, the more we can usher in our agenda. Paul here, though, uses this truth in a way that is wise. Notice verse 7, when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And we see what the point of division was in verse 8. For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there, was, there arose a loud cry, and the scribes, the scribes of the Pharisees, uh, excuse me, they're, they're, uh, uh, the, Sad, uh, the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confessed both. I was fine. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let, uh, let us not fight against God. So again, they, they were totally divided. We see at times in Jesus' ministry where the, the Sadducees would come along and test him, trying to trick him to show there was no resurrection. Remember they came to him and they said there was a guy that had a wife uh, uh, and, and the, the a wife had a husband, he died. Then the brother married her and he died. And they go, seven brothers and they all died. And I'm thinking, man, by the time you're the fifth brother, at least you're saying, I'm not, there, there's a curse here or something. And then they say, whose husband, or, you know, who will be your husband in glory? And they were trying to say, they're trying to prove there's no resurrection. So, you know, we're going to trick them. And the Lord says, well, in heaven, people will be like angels. There, there's no marriage and giving in marriage and so forth. And so these groups were opposed to each other. So Paul says, I believe in the resurrection. And immediately, you know, it, it sparked them to fight against one another. And then you see the Pharisees saying, listen, we believe in the resurrection. He's saying he believes in the resurrection. Listen, maybe God's spoken to him. Let's not fight against God. Now, remember last week we saw Paul referring to Gamaliel and how he had raised him up. And we looked in Acts 5 how Gamaliel had said, you know, be careful what you do with these Christians. We want to make sure we're not fighting against God. And so maybe that seed had already been planted as Paul was led by the Spirit. And now these guys are standing in that word that had been given earlier. And it comes out of their mouth. Listen, we need to slow down here. We don't want to fight against God. The truth was they were all fighting against God. This whole group was. And hear this this morning. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, you're fighting with God as well. And men will never win when they're at war with God. Victory only comes when we yield to Him and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It only comes from calling on His name. And if one does not call on His name, the day is coming when all His enemies will be cut off. This is the day of salvation. This is the day that we can get born again and saved and get washed and made right with God. And maybe you're sitting there saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a believer, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not at war with God. You are. Because our sin has separated us from God. And our sin outside of Christ, we're saying, I'll do as I will. I will do what's right in my own eyes. I do not need to be yielded to you. And yet God gave you the last breath that you took. God sustains all these things. 
God holds these things together. We are in rebellion against God at enmity with him. We are at war with him. And Christ has come to make the way of peace and salvation. And that's why it's imperative that every soul calls upon Christ for salvation. Now notice verse 10. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Now once again, we see the Roman guards showing more of a fear of Caesar, who they could see, than the Jews showed towards God, who they could not see. And sadly, this is the case with most individuals. Most people have more of a fear of men who they can see than God who they can't see, though the evidence of God who we can't see is all around us. The Holy Spirit of God convicts all men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But most gravitate to what they see. You you, you see it in the world today where so many people, they anchor their hope in these little false Republican and Democratic false messiahs. I'm going to solve all your problems. And people flock after them and chase them and so forth. And this is our guy and so forth. There's a place to be politically involved, but boy, it better take a far, far second to putting your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's seen in the conversations and where we put time and flocking to rallies and get-togethers and so forth concerning these politicians while ignoring getting together and crying out to the living God. Listen, I love our country, I love our state, I want to see it revived. But make no mistake, that is only going to come when there's first a spiritual revival of us humbling our hearts, repenting, seeking God, and calling on His name. You need to remember that this morning. These guys are showing, though, more of a fear of Caesar, who they can see, than these Jews towards God, who they cannot see. And that was evident, and again, in their great misuse of God's word. See, these Roman guards, they could have just been looking out for themselves. They could have just let this crowd tear Paul apart. Instead, they intervened, risking themselves, because, again, they knew they would give an account to Caesar if they let that happen. It had been established that Paul was a Roman citizen. So that fear caused them to do what's right. Listen, in like manner, but so much more, we're going to give an account to the Lord for our lives. And that should be one of the, you know, motivations to want to do what's right before God, even when it's risky in regard to man's response towards us. The Lord's told us, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said that in Matthew 10, 28. And then to the believer, we read in 1 Peter 1, 17, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. These Roman guards acted because they knew they would give an account to Caesar if they did not do what was right, even though what they did was risky. We're going to give an account of our lives to God. So what are we going to be moved by? Knowing we're going to stand by God Almighty or what man might do? And oftentimes, 
even what we think man might do, God does not let, let man do what we think he might do because God is going before us. And God, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? And listen, don't sleep on this truth this morning. This it applies, it applies to all of us. And it should be something that sobers us up in our call to represent the Lord here in our time on earth, our short time here on earth. Verse 11 says, But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so so you must bear witness at Rome. Now, it was interesting. Remember, before Paul went up to Jerusalem, he got several words that persecution awaited him at Jerusalem. And then he got counsel that wasn't from the Holy Spirit, but... It was given based on that word through the people that gave him that word. They said, persecution awaits you, so don't go. Remember, Agabus grabbed that belt and he said, whoever owns this belt, and he wrapped his hands up with it, he's going to be bound in Jerusalem. And they said, don't go, Paul, that's your belt. Don't go, Paul. Trouble awaits you. So if trouble awaits, listen, human thinking says if there's going to be trouble, it means you run from it. And there is a time when we need to avoid trouble. But we had read earlier in Acts 19.21, the Holy Spirit had purposed in Paul's heart to go to Macedonia, Acacia, to Jerusalem, and then from there to Rome to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now maybe that word given stirred everyone up to pray and help prepare Paul to go. But Paul followed the Lord even when trouble loomed and even when he got a word from the Holy Spirit that, listen, you're going to get bound up there. But he said, I'm going to go anyway because the Holy Spirit has purposed on my heart to go. So he listened to God, not men. And now look, look what happened. He's being commended by God. And it's better to walk in obedience to the Lord and go through a little tribu- tribulation And then be commended by God than to avoid tribulation to be commended by men. We're living in a day of peril. We're living in a day, again, where there's a lot of opposition to the things of the Lord. There's a lot of hostility out there. There's a lot of legislation even in our own country that's trying to get passed to try to hinder the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the standing of truth. And it's easy to shrink back and say, well, I'm just going to quiet down then and and do nothing. It's not to say that we shouldn't move in wisdom. We should. But listen, Jesus has promised us (coughs) tribulations and persecutions at time uh, for being a believer here on earth. And far better to go forward to the Lord, to be commended by God, than shrink back by cowards, to be commended by men. Lord, help us in this. We need great grace and mercy. Verse 12, and, it was, and, and when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves in an oath, saying they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. Paul stood in truth. They were standing in lies. Paul had done nothing worthy of death. And they had not even given him a fair trial. Yet they band together against Paul. Side note, cowards always move in packs. There's over 40 in this case. 
be very careful in following the mob. Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. It goes on from there. And then in verse 18, it says, they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Cowards always move in packs like this. Make sure you don't get caught up in the herd. But instead, you're a sheep following the good shepherd. Amen. Then they take a very foolish oath before God. We're not going to eat. We're not going to drink until we kill Paul in the name of God. These things should never be said in the same sentence. (laughs) And then they form a conspiracy or they form a plot. This is very reflective of their father, the devil. Jesus had said, you're of your father, the devil, to this group. Satan is always doing this as well. He's always plotting. He's always conspiring. He's always looking for opportunity to try to attack the Christian, the body of Christ, and so forth. Jesus, when he endured those temptations in the wilderness, in Luke 4, 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Okay, I'm going to step back. I just, just got beat down by the word of God. So I'm going to step back, but I'm going to keep plotting and conspiring and looking for another opportune time to come on once again to try to stumble the Son of Man. And if Satan is that brazen to try to come against the Lord, how much more is he brazen to try to come against us, followers of the Lord? You see this throughout God's Word. The enemy of our soul, working through individuals that are his ministers, whether they know it or not, to try to destroy the work of God, to try to destroy the people of God who are called to hold up the Word of God. You see this clearly in the book of Nehemiah. As he had gone there to Jerusalem, prompted by the Spirit of God to rebuild that wall around the city of Jerusalem after it had lain in ruins for so long. There was an individual named Sam Baladin. He had some others that conspired and plotted on how they could destroy this work. Notice Nehemiah 4, 7. It says, Now it happened with Sabbalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry. And then all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. The enemy always wants to attack and create confusion. But notice verse 9, and this is practical for us. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God because of them and set watch against them day and night. Listen, and knowing we have an enemy plotting against our souls, we don't want to be so overly focused on him that we're not first focused on the Lord. But at the same time, we want to be watchful and we want to be a praying people. Are you watching over your home? Are you watching over your heart? I have a call on the pastors here. We have a call to watch over this fellowship And to be a people that are praying, knowing there's an enemy out there looming who's conspiring and plotting on how he can try to destroy you. How he can try to destroy your children. How he can try to destroy your marriage, your ministry, and so forth. We need to be a people that are watchful and a people that pray. We get the same counsel in Ephesians 6, 
you know what, when we get instruction concerning the full armor of God. Verse 14. Then they came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath. And notice how it changes. That we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. I think probably what happened is someone got thirsty and accidentally forgot that they had made an oath not to drink too. Or maybe they said, you know, maybe we took that a little far. You know what, eating's one thing. We can go a long time. But, you know what, if you don't drink, you know, for two, three, four days, you, you, you might die. But what's hilarious here is we, we've bound ourselves under a great oath. And here's the chief priest listening to this. And instead of rebuking them, he goes right along with them. I praise God that we have a chief priest, a high priest, who rebukes us and corrects us when we need that. Let's make sure we don't resist that, amen? But we allow the Lord to rebuke us. These guys needed a rebuke by their chief priest, but instead, he went right along with it. And you know what? We have this great oath. Spoiler, spoiler alert here. They don't kill Paul. So what eventually happens? Do they die of dehydration or do they fudge their oath? They fudge their oath with God. James 5.12, but above all, brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. These guys weren't thinking straight. Verse 15, we'll pick up the pace a little bit. It says, now you, therefore, together with the council... Suggest to the commander that he may be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. This is not a plan from God. <laughs> this is a plan from the father of lies who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I get a feeling from reading this that they had done this before, you know. They, they, they've gone through these types of actions with other individuals because it seems like they're all really comfortable with it. There's no one at all saying, well, wait a minute. This is like, this has become their policy. Now notice verse 16. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went in and entered the barracks and told Paul. Boy, there's a lot to learn from here. Listen closely. Are you listening? Someone is always listening to you. They're plotting, they're planning, but someone hears what they are talking of. Someone is always listening to what you're saying, especially nowadays. Hear this. Be careful with who you roll with, what you plot, what you vow to do, what you say, and especially what you post online. Notice Ecclesiastes 10.20. Do not curse the king even in your thought. Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice and a bird in flight may tell the matter. This is more true than, there, than it has ever been, man. And you might be thinking, well, listen, I'm more sly than that. I go where no one can see, no one can hear. But hear this this morning, God hears it all. We saw Wednesday night a description of Jesus Christ. He has eyes of a flame of fire. There's nothing he doesn't see. There's nothing he doesn't hear. And so what comes out of our mouth should be consistent, whether we're alone in our home, whether we're out amongst others, we should honor and glorify God with our 
words. And again, especially in this day we are living in, where there's so many vindictive people, hypocritical people, that want to take something that someone says that's stupid and out of line, and sometimes it's not out of line, it's just offensive to the world, and they want to try to crucify him. Does anyone notice this happening around us? I feel so sorry for so many of these young athletes and young people that kind of, you know, they, they, they ascend to fame quickly. And then they start digging through their Twitters, you know, when they were in high school or things they said in the past. And, you know, and, oh, here's this, you know, individual, you know, they wanna, he's a homophobic or whatever it is, you know. And by the way, that's still a sin before God. Let's be careful with our words. There's always someone listening. Let it be in a place where, you know, if they're spying on us and listening, you know, cameras everywhere. They, you know, that Siri, I know she's hearing what I'm saying and reporting it back to headquarters. Let's pray someone gets born. Let's pray Siri gets born again. Amen. Someone told Shannon the other night, they were listening to the sermon from Wednesday night in their house, and there was something about lying came up, and the Siri in their house popped off, and she said, I never tell a lie. Come soon, Lord Jesus. <laughs> it's like, all you do is tell lies. <laughs> Verse 17, then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell them. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner called me to him and asked to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask for you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him, but do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait, men who have bound themselves in an oath that they'll neither eat nor drink till they have killed them, and now they are ready waiting for the promise, uh, for, for the, uh, promise from you. Now this is, this is interesting to me. Paul, on one hand, again, these religious Jews want to kill him, but it's amazing how God is giving Paul great favor with the Romans. It's not a bad thing to pray for that. You know that? God give me favor with God and men. It says that Jesus grew in grace and he grew in favor with God and men. Now, if we're looking for that favor by conceding truth, that's a far different thing. There's also a key in gaining favor with men. You know what it is? It's called walking in mercy and truth. Proverbs 3, 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. Walking in truth. Walking in the truth of God's word. Having a consistent walk in truth. Is something that oftentimes is even at least respected by the world. The world hates hypocrisy. 
And then on top of that, showing mercy to fallen individuals that need the Lord Jesus Christ goes a long way. Do you know that? Hear this. You don't have to condemn a world that's already condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Why? Because it's already condemned and judged. If you're known as the office snitch, you're probably not going to get a lot of favor with men around you. The town tattletale, you don't want to show mercy to anybody. You want to kick dust in their face while they're down versus recognizing I was once in that place and Christ lifted me up. Doesn't go too far. Oh Lord, let us show love even when plots and conspiracies are being raised against us. Verse 22, so the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. This is wise. Listen, the phrase loose lips sink ships isn't a Bible verse, but it's a biblical truth. Proverbs 21, 23, he who guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. 23 down through 30, let's read it together. And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. And provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and about to be killed by them. Coming with troops, I rescue him rescued him having learned that he was a roman and when i wanted to know the reason they accused him i brought him before their council i found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law but had done nothing but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains and when it was told to me that the jews lie in wait for this man i sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him farewell Now listen, I find something very fascinating about this. As I read, I felt like the Lord gave me this insight, laid it on my heart. This whole thing that these Romans were doing, listen, in part it was done out of integrity. Again, if you're a Caesar, we want to do the right thing. It's the wrong thing just to let these Jews rip this guy apart and just kind of sweep it under the rug. They move with some integrity. This was also done, though, to pass the buck. There's nothing new underneath the sun. Oftentimes, politicians love to pass the buck. We're going to see this with Paul in these remaining chapters, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. Paul is like a hot potato that no one wants to handle. They just keep passing him along. The same thing happened to Jesus when he was being tried, remember? They passed him around done with some integrity it's done also to pass the buck but listen it's also being done for an opportunity to boast i'm the one who rescued him check me out over here i'm the one that saved him and as i thought about this the lord pressed on my heart a great truth i think this is reflective of just about everything we do unto the lord as christians that even on our best days and our best efforts, it's still tainted. <laughs> there's a little bit of leaven still in it. There, there, there's a little bit of wickedness and pride still in it. 
as I read this and consider it, the Lord brought to my mind a devotion that I had read not long ago from the Valley of Vision. It's an old Puritan devotional. And I want to read it to you, then we'll have read a couple verses and be done here. But listen to this this morning and take it to heart. Let this sink deep in. And you'll also hear a few words here you probably, you might not have heard before. Learn, learn, our, our language can expand when we read the, the Puritans. I'll probably pronounce the words wrong, but you can have grace and mercy towards me. It says, O God of grace, you have imputed my sin to my substitute. You have imputed his righteousness to my soul, clothing me with a bridegroom's robe, decking me with jewels of holiness. But in my Christian walk, I am still in rags. Hear this. My best prayers are stained with sin. My penitential tears are so much impurity. My confessions are wrong. of wrong are so many abbreviations of sin. My receiving the Spirit is tinctured with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins. No no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments. And by grace, I am always receiving a change of raiment. For you always justify the ungodly. I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal. Always saying, Father, forgive me. And you are always bringing forth the best robe. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wounded in death in it. Stand before the great white throne in it. Enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of grace. Let's let that sink deep in. Especially you, O pious one, this morning, if there's any such amongst us. This is called being honest and real with God. Being truthful about our great need for Christ in everything that we do. Verse 31, then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul, brought him by night to Anatarpius and Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea, had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what providence he was from. And when he understood he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Satan plotted. The Lord rescued. Praise God. He's the rescuer of our soul. And praise God. He's working this all for good. This will give Paul yet another platform to preach Christ. And in this case, to men in high places, as God who shows no partiality, calls all men to salvation. Let's stand up. We'll close in prayer and worship of our God. Lord God, we do praise you. We give you glory and honor. We just thank you for who you are. I thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient. We thank you for the work of the cross. And we thank you, Lord, for the call to be followers of the Lord. I hope and pray, God, that indeed our faith has grown this morning. 
God, that our courage has grown, our strength has grown in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless your children today, God. These your sheep, God. These your people. These your saints. Shine your face on each and every one of them. We ask that in your name, Lord. And listen, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, today is the day of salvation. The word of truth says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on his name? Is he really your Lord? Is he your Lord only in profession of mouth, but not in a true belief in your heart? Is he your Lord? Is he your all in all? Is your heart loyal to him? God stands ready to wash, to forgive, to save. If he's not your Lord, call on his name. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you. He'll meet you where you're at. He'll save your soul. He'll come and into your life and into your soul. We praise you, God. We give you glory, Lord. Bless any calling on you even right now, Lord. And let us finish well, lifting our voices to you. Let's praise and give glory to our God.
God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord. We have a half hour before the next service, so I encourage you to encourage others, build one another up in the Lord, and have, a, again, a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.